Well, this morning, I want to talk to you uh, around the topic of grief and loss. Um, grief is a, is a natural emotional response to pain and loss. And uh, it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Okay? It can manifest itself in just shock. Uh, it can manifest itself in anger or disbelief, or guilt, sadness, or fear. Uh, um, Grief can disrupt your physical health. Often you might find it difficult to eat, uh, to sleep, to think straight. Um, So grief impacts us uh, very differently in a wide spectrum of things. And, And you may ask yourself, like, Pastor, why are you talking about grief and lost today. I mean, we just had awesome worship. Uh, we just celebrated Jesus as our superhero with Zip, and, and this is a bit uh, of a tough circumstance, situation, topic to talk about. And uh, I'm talking to you about it today because we, not just as a congregation, but we as a society, uh, have been and continue to be in a season of loss. And I'm going to explain that to you. Just in the last few weeks, we, meaning uh, our church community uh, and the staff in our school, uh, we have lost, when I mean lost, I mean uh, people who have died, seven people in the last couple of weeks that are connected to our church. Now, nobody in our church died, but people, loved ones of people who come to our church have died, seven of them. You know, the Karen lost two. Um, Adam and Tree lost two. One of our teachers lost a niece. Another teacher lost her great-grandfather. And then even in the midst of making and working on this sermon, a friend and colleague passed away this week of mine as well. And so just in that alone, we could talk about grief and loss. But feelings of grief come with all loss, not just the loss of a loved one or a friend who's passed on and is no longer here. You see, we, there's all different kinds of loss. There's loss in relationships. Maybe in a season you, you had a relationship that is broken. The person doesn't talk to you anymore. Or if you were dating somebody, they're out of your life now. Or um, just a relationship broken. You came into a disagreement about matters of theology or matters of COVID or matters of race or matters of any of those things, and now there's friction you don't talk, you lost a relationship. Maybe you have had a loss in health, right? I mean, as, as natural it is when people age, we, we have loss of sight, loss of hearing, loss of mobility, loss of energies and functions that we had at one point, but maybe you got sick or, or had a physical ailment or had to have surgery or something of these natures. You've lost some health. We lose in the areas of jobs and finances, right? Whether you're out of work or reduction in finances or you can't meet your budgets if you're in a workplace, right? There's, there's a loss there. There's, it's a negative you've lost. Maybe it's something is a loss just in your schedule or your routines. 
You used to work every day and had this certain schedule and it was working for you and things were healthy and everything is disrupted. Now I have to work from home. Now I got to figure this out. I got to juggle that. I've lost some freedoms maybe. I feel now I'm confined to the space. I have to, maybe I have to wear a mask at work. I got to wear gloves. I, I, I can't just go and hang out over here and do this in my favorite restaurant. And we've lost something, right? For half the country, you lost an election, Right? Maybe you've lost a holiday or vacation time or celebrating. Christmas time, my family spent it with just those that are immediately in our house. My, my mother couldn't visit, my, my daughter couldn't visit, which means my grandson couldn't visit. And so there was a loss of celebration. Trying to celebrate Christmas on Zoom just wasn't the same, right? We experienced loss, and I'm sure that's true for you, whether it's a loss of celebrating a birthday or you couldn't go on vacation to your favorite place or couldn't go on vacation at all. And certainly we've all lost the human connection, the hugs, the personal touch, the face-to-face conversations, the sharing a meal, the hanging out at friends' houses. My point is this. Everyone is experiencing loss in some way, shape, or form and in different degrees. And so this morning, because we're all suffering loss, which means grief is a natural emotional response to suffering loss, I want to talk to you about the question around, well, how does a Christian grieve? Does the Bible give us any outlines or parameters or expectations or any of these kinds of things? Should a Christian grieve? Is it normal? And I want to talk to you about that this morning so that we can grieve in the right way. And I know this will hit home for those of you that are watching or that are here that have had profound loss of loved ones. But I think if we're honest with ourselves and we think over this last year, we would all say, hey, I have suffered loss somewhere. And how should I process this? Well, we know this. Because grief is an emotional response to loss, right? And the greater the importance of something or someone, the greater the loss, right? Which means, and different people have, uh, or, or things have different levels of importance to us, we, we know that there's no right way or wrong way to grieve. Because one thing might have one importance to me, it might have a very different importance to you, and the loss, if we both lose that, we're going to grieve differently. And so there's really no right way or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable to grief. Some people seem to move on, and some people, man, it's just, it's just hard to go away, the grief. But even though there's no right way or wrong way and no timetable, the Bible does give us uh, examples and principles that we can walk through and grieve with as we grieve. I mean, the the topic of grief and, and loss is prevalent throughout the entire Bible. As I started looking, I could write pages and pages of correlating scriptures. And if you're with us on Wednesday night Bible study, you'll know what, how, to, how to do that. Just, man, from, from really from Adam and Eve uh, until Revelation, there's this 
almost in every book, there's topics around loss and grief and, and, and the responses of. So we're going to look at that this morning. I have four, four ways, four principles that we can embrace as believers when we experience loss and are grieving. The first one is just this. We express grief. We don't run from it or hide from it. We don't suppress it. We don't ignore it. The reason I say this is first is because when we look through Scripture, we see people grieving. Uh, there are so many examples. Let me show you a few. Uh, Hannah grieved in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. It said, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. See, Hannah was grieving the fact that she, she was barren. She couldn't have children. And so there was a loss to her. You say, well, what was that loss? Well, one is the ability to have kids. But two, in her society, she was looked at as less of a woman because she couldn't have kids. And so she, there was this loss of respect or admiration she felt from her peers and from her husband. And she had this loss and she wept bitterly and prayed in deep anguish to the Lord. The psalmist says this in 119.28, My soul is weary with sorrow. I, mean, I don't know if you've been in ever that state of sorrow where you just internally, just your soul is tired. This I can't take this anymore kind of feeling. Well, the psalmist expresses this clearly. And then we have the, one, the biggest example of grief and sorrow is Job. Job lost everything in a single day. His children, his home, his wealth. And in Job 1.20 it says this, at, when the message came to him, it says, at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, which all of that was a, a symbol of sorrow and despair at that, in that culture. So he expressed his grief. He didn't hide it. And then in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, uh, his friends, when they came to, to visit Job, it says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Job just expressed his grief, and didn't hold back. And then Jesus is our example as well. In John chapter 11, verse 33, Jesus caught news that Lazarus was dead. And it says this, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have they laid him? He asked Come and see, Lord, they replied. Longest verse in the scripture, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus also was deeply moved at, with his betrayal. After he was betrayed in the Last Supper, and they go out to the garden. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. We could go example after example after example of people who mourned, who tore clothes, who sat in ashes, who expressed their grief. I mean, that's the comfort from the Psalms, really. There's so much expression of emotional response to how, what was going on in his life that I need to tell you today, church, it's okay to accept the loss, to experience the pain. It is okay. It is not a sin. It is not a lack of faith. In fact, Psalm 56, verse 8 says this. He's talking about the Lord to the Lord. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? And what he's saying is God sees the tears. God sees the pain. God sees the misery. He knows these things, and he still embraces us. us. He doesn't say, hey, when you get your act together, come back to me. It's okay to express grief. We need to express grief. Growing up, uh, you know, as a, as a little boy and young man, I used to be told, ah, oh, you're a man, suck it up, stop crying. Right? Get over it. It wasn't that bad, come on. We've all heard these kinds of statements, right? Well, we grieve differently. Maybe that thing was more important to me than it is to you, so how can you just tell me to get over it? Nowhere in Scripture does God say, get over it, suck it up, buttercup. Right? I never read that anywhere in Scripture. But I see men and women of God who expressed their sorrow to the Lord. They, they allowed themselves to grieve, to, to cry out, to demonstrate their sadness, their sorrow, their, their loss, to actually embrace and experience this moment of pain that they were walking through and not try to suppress or deny it. So we express our grief. The second thing, the principle we see in Scripture, is this grieving with others. You see, we just read how Jesus took Peter and the sons of Zebedee with him. And he said, come, watch with me. My, I, my, my soul, is, I'm in anguish to the point of death. He's deeply sorrowful, and he takes his three closest uh, disciples with him as he prays and he cries out to God. He took his friends with him. I mean, Job's uh, three friends too, right? When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. You see, their friend said, hey, our buddy's in distress. He is grieving. We need to go be with him. And then we read where, hey, they, they recognized he was in such pain and sorrow that they sat with him for seven days and didn't say a word. You know, his friends started out perfectly. So we need to go be with him. We need to grieve with him. They just sat with him. And can I tell you that when, when a friend is grieving, the best thing you can do is just be there. You don't have to come up with the right words to say to help them get through. 
Oftentimes we feel this compulsion. We've got to say something. We have to explain it to them. And, and so then we open up our mouths and what we end up saying ends up doing more damage to them. Which is what Job's friends did. I mean, Job's friends uh, said some really stupid stuff. Joel later on and says, uh, uh, I would encourage you to go back and read his response to somebody. He's like, wow, uh, really? What do I have to ask for to get such criticism from you? Like, he ends up having to defend himself to his friends over his grief. So when I say if you're a friend, just don't say stupid stuff. Just be there. Okay? Just be there. Say, hey, I don't know what to say. I see your pain. And I'm your friend, and I'm here to do anything you ask me to do. Uh, if, if, if you need me to go, you know, get you a cup of coffee, or if you need me to, to, you know, watch your dog so you can go take a nap, or whatever, I'm here for you. I don't know what to do, but I'm here. We grieve with others. In fact, we're even told to grieve with others. In Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, because God knows that there's something about grieving together that brings healing. And so if you're grieving today, don't, don't lock yourself in a room alone. Whether you're grieving the loss of a loved one, or you're grieving the loss of a job, or you're grieving the loss of a relationship, or you're grieving the loss of, of just your schedule and your life and finances and work, find somebody say, man, I just, I need a friend. Don't lock yourself away. If you want to read Job's uh, friend's response, uh, Job 16, verses 1 through 3, um, I don't have it on a slide up here, but he, uh, no, let's read it. Why not? I think you guys need to hear this because all of us, when we've grieved, we've had those moments where people who were friends, who we know are friends, who with a good intentions, just say stuff that you go, really? I wish you would have just been quiet. Right? All of us. Okay. And we've all been that friend who said something and we're like, oh, why did I say that? Right? So Job replies, I've heard many things like this. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? (laughs) Like, so, just a note. If you're a friend, don't say stupid stuff. So we grieve with others. Let's move to the third thing that we have here. We grieve with reflection. You see, loss and grief always force us to reflect. Right? It's in these moments that if you lost a loved one, you start pulling out pictures, you start remembering good times, you start remembering missed times, you start just reflecting on that person's life, the impact they had on you, the things you wish would have happened or things that did happen, and and we start remembering, we start reflecting. It's when in this time that those moments we start asking the why questions. Why did this have to happen? Why God? Right? Right? Because it's our natural tendency in times of pain and sorrow and loss to reflect. It's normal. It's natural. We need to mourn and grieve with reflections. I mean, Jesus cried out in Matthew 27, verse 46, when he was on the cross. 
About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 through 2 here. But Jesus on the cross, in the, moment, in the midst of his pain and grief, he's saying, God, why? Why have you left me? If Jesus, in, the, in his sorrow, is asking the why question, you are allowed to ask the why question. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a sin. Why, Lord? Why did this person have to die? Why did I lose my job? Why did my friend walk away? It's okay. We reflect and we ask the questions, is there anything I could have done differently? Right when it's a loved one, I wish I would have spent more time. I wish this. I could have done that. And in those moments of reflection, we begin then to focus and reprioritize. Like, that person died and I didn't get to spend any time with them. I'm going to spend time with my friends now. Right? There's something about loss that forces us to think through and reevaluate what's important and what we could have been done, or even if we had a role to play in it. Job reflected, and in chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, he says this, I will never admit you are in the right. He's talking to his friends who are accusing him of sin. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. So in the midst of all of... Job looked and said, I lost my kids, I lost my wealth, I lost my home, I lost my health. I'm sitting here in ashes with nothing. Is there anything I did to deserve this? And Job comes to realization, nope, I did nothing wrong. And his friend's like, you had to have done something wrong, buddy. I mean, look at you. Obviously, God's favor is not with you because you're suffering. And he's like, I'm never going to admit that to you because I, am cl- I have a clear conscience. You see, he reflected. He would not have come to that conclusion if he had not thought about it like, God, why? Is this because I did something wrong? So he reflected You see, in loss and grief, it gives us the opportunity to reflect and to adjust if needed. We ask questions like, did I contribute to this loss? I mean, did I lose my job because I'm a terrible worker? And I'm just using COVID as the reason. Should I have done something differently? What can I do to avoid this in the future? Do I have my priorities in the right order? We also take the moment to not only ask those kinds of questions, but to reflect on and remember the good. Remember, remember the awesome memories we had or the, th- the things that this provided for us or, or the relationship when it was healthy, and we celebrate those things. We say, man, that was a good part of my life. I celebrate that. I celebrate this person. I celebrate that situation. It's not just all negative. A friend of mine 
uh, years ago, lost his wife. And he made this statement that I thought was, was pretty powerful in the midst of reflecting. He said, this loss may turn your head, but don't let it turn your heart. What he meant was, hey, my, I, I'm looking in a, through a different lens now. I'm processing differently. It has me asking questions. My mind doesn't understand, but my heart is still pure towards the Lord. I'm not going to let this, this loss, this significant, significant loss, a, a, a pastor and his wife dies. What now, Lord? I, I'm a man of faith. Why, didn't you, why did you let my wife die? You know, all those kinds of questions. He said, it may turn your head, but don't let it turn your heart. So we grieve with reflections. It's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to reflect. You should reflect. Lastly, we grieve with hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And I encourage you to continue reading that. He's talking about the, the, the believers, and we'll see them again, and all those kinds of things. But the point we're focusing on here is that we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We as believers, we grieve with hope. What, you say, how, how can we grieve with hope? You so see, we talked about this at Christmas time, at Advent, right? We talked about the topic of hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. That's how we can grieve with hope. And you say, well, we hope in Jesus? Well, it's, it's the promises of God confirmed to us through Jesus Christ. You see, God has made us all kinds of promises that we can hold on to. And, and the, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ proves to us that these promises are real and will come to pass. So the other promises that we have to hope in, that we haven't seen come to pass, we can confidently hope in them because of Jesus Christ. Because hope realized isn't hope. If it's in, you know, if, if this is in my hand, I don't hope to have a phone because I have a phone. When we're grieving, we're hoping for. We don't have that yet. And we can have hope because of Jesus Christ and the promises we have. Well, what are some of those promises that, that give us hope in the midst of our grieving? And I would encourage you to let God's word minister these to you because oftentimes... Christians have used these scriptures as just pithy statements with no compassion. And you hear them or you read them and you go, please. But let God's word speak to you. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in the midst of our loss, we can say, you know what? My God has overcome this world. This is temporary. This is temporary. I should take heart because God is in control. He has won. He has overcome. 
Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is God saying? God is saying, I am with you. (laughs) Nothing can separate us. Nothing you're going through, no loss you've incurred, is going to cause me to not be with you. Nothing in all of creation. So we can hold on to that, like God is with me. He told me nothing can separate me from his love. Even though I don't feel it, even though I'm down in the dumps, even though I'm experiencing all these things, I know that he is with me. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. What is that? Like Jesus, when he's alongside you, he can empathize with you. He's been where you have been. He's experienced all kinds of loss. He knows right where you're at. He's able to understand and walk alongside you and say, I know I got you. Second Corinthians 1, 3-4 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. This is a promise for anybody who's mourning, grieving, or has lost, that God is able to comfort. He will comfort. In fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These are promises how we can grieve with hope, even though in the midst of expressing our grief and and, and thinking about it and being with others and living there, we know with hope we will get through this. We read 1 Thessalonians 4.13, this, this uh, being reunited, that this promise that loved ones who, who, who are, are believers, that we will be reunited with them again someday in heaven. That this isn't a forever goodbye. One more for you. Probably the one that comes out the most often this period of time, but is most true. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have have been called according to his purposes. We have this hope that somehow, we have no clue how, but somehow God will use this loss for good. Whether it's my good or someone else's good, I don't know. But God will use this loss and turn it for good. That's, that is the, the definition of what he did when he rose from the dead. Right? The very thing that happened to him, who his disciples mourned for three days and thought the life was over, ended up being the most powerful thing in history that transformed and made a way for you and me. You say, how in the world could God take a brutal crucifixion and a death and turn that for good? But he had a plan. 
And so we, with hope, we can say, as I grieve in this loss, that there is a plan. God somehow promises to use this for good somewhere. And I'm going to hold on to that as I grieve. Just in wrapping this up together, church, loss is common to everybody. And because we have experienced loss, we experience grief. Everybody grieves differently. Everybody responds differently. It's an emotional response. Which means it's emotional. Right? Like, you will have any idea how how someone's going to respond or how you may respond. Just as if you have... No idea how different people respond to good news. Some people get excited and jump up and down, and some people start crying, and some people say, well, that's nice. Right? It's still good news. We just all respond differently, and loss is the same way. We all respond differently. But for us as believers, we have these examples. We have this encouragement and principles in Scripture that we grieve with expression. We, we don't try to suppress it and think there's something wrong with grieving. We allow ourselves to grieve. We, we embrace the pain. We, 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 we allow ourselves to cry. And uh, Some cultures, and especially in the Middle Eastern, they would, when people died, they'd walk down the street with their casket and wail loudly. We grieve with others. We grieve with reflection we grieve with hope. Hope that God is with us. Hope that God is going to comfort us. Hope that I may see that person again someday. Hope that God will somehow use this for good some way. I don't know. <clears throat> the hope that, as, as David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know God is with me. And you may be grieving and feeling like you're walking through death itself. And you can grieve with hope, knowing I don't know how long this grief will last, but I know that my God is with me, that He loves me, He will comfort me, He will walk with me through this, He will not abandon me. And with that, we can, even in the midst of our grief, we can raise holy hands and we can worship and we can praise and we can say, thank you, Lord, for not abandoning me in a pit of despair. This good God, he loves us. So this morning, I'm going to ask Pastor Sean to come up and we're going to take communion together. Um... Hey, honey, would you grab me a communion cup? Because I announced, don't forget your communion cup, and I forgot my communion cup. Today, when we take communion, you know, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, thank you. He instructed us to take communion. He said, when you, when you take it, the focus of your taking this is in remembrance of me. And it's good for us 
to, to when we gather to, to remember, remember Christ. In all, all his various capacities and ways and, and things. And today I know this. That God heals. He's a, he's a healing God. He, he came from heaven to heal this broken world. And, and he does that by, by depositing himself in each one of us. We carry his, his light. We carry his presence. We carry his promises. And, and there will be a day. His, his promises declare it that you and I will, will no longer be subject to the brokenness of this world. That complete healing will come. And you'll, you'll be with God in a place that there's no more tears, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. There'll be no more grief, there'll be no more, no more loss, there'll be no more mourning. It, 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 will, it, will, it will be heaven. <laughs> but that's not where we are today. We're in a place that we experience loss. Loss of loved ones, loss of relationships, loss of possessions, loss of health, loss of, loss of everywhere around, right? I was in a meeting once with uh, um, several ministers. I wasn't alone, but with Gordon McDonald. He's a, if you know him, he's a well-known ministry is aging now and he reminded us that that hey when you get older it's easy to get grumpy you know and at the time I think I was you know my late 30s when I was in this meeting and he said and he said let me explain to you why because you reach a certain point in your life where you're losing more than you're gaining All the older folks are like, uh-huh, we understand that. And so just naturally, it's easy to, to just get negative because loss can be overwhelming. We experience loss. No one likes to lose. But can I tell you today that because of Jesus Christ, you can walk through the loss in your life with hope and know that he will heal you in the midst of it. And what better testimony is that to a crazy, chaotic world than people who walk through loss and grieve deeply like as they should, but come through it with hope. I mean, what stronger message is that? Like when the whole world is getting grumpy because they're losing, that we're receiving joy in the midst of our loss. God is capable of that. He wants to minister that to you and to me today. And today as we take communion, we're remembering a lot of stuff. I mean, Jesus lost deeply when he was in this world. He lost disciples. Everyone turned and left him. It was just the 12. And he said, are you going to leave me as well? Peter said, no, no, Lord, we're, we're, we're here with you. And then Judas betrayed him. 
And then the very, uh, then, then his closest disciple denied he even knew him. And then the same city that sung his praises as he, as he marched in then said, no, we want him dead. Yet for the joy set before him, he endured. No, no, not saying that when we suffer loss, we're each a martyr. But Jesus can understand what you're walking through in the midst of grief and loss. And he can take your loss, he can take your grief, and he can instead replace it with joy. And so when we take communion today, his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us, it reminds us of his great loss and how he can empathize with us. Yet just as he rose again, we too can rise from the ashes, so to speak, with joy and with peace. Because our God. Amen? So let's open this and take the, take the, uh, the wafer. If you're home, this will be a moment where you can grab a piece of bread or something made with flour or grain. And on the night Jesus was betrayed and the Last Supper, he picked up the bread and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. That my body's going to be broken and torn down and I can empathize with you. When you gather together, I want you to, to eat it and remember eat together. Then he picked up the cup. And he said, this is my my blood spilled for you. And, And his blood means so much more than just the crucifixion. It's it's the way with which he purchased our freedom. It's 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 the it's the contract being signed that that we are we can be made new that we can have reconciliation with heaven that we can find healing. It, it's through His spilled blood that accomplished all that He did, and so even though it's initially it looks like this horrific event where Jesus' blood was spilled, and how can we possibly celebrate that? It's that spilling of the blood that purchased your freedom, that signed the contract that said you can be healed, that your pain can turn to joy, that your loss can become good. It's through his blood that did all of that. And so today as we drink this juice, we remember, Jesus, that you did all of that for me because you love me. So let's drink together.